This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. And I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hi, I'm Misa. We're going to talk about Don't Panic by uh, Douglas Adams. Uh, it's about Neil Gaiman. Um, <laughs> how how old do you think Neil Gaiman is compared to Douglas Adams without looking? Huh. Is he like... I'm going to say you 10 mean, years younger. 10 years younger? Yeah, I think right. that as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's, five to ten years younger. Yeah, he's only yeah. he's only eight years younger. Wow. Um, but that makes me think how young Douglas Adams died, uh, or how old Neil Gaiman is. <laughs> <laughs> because I think of Neil Gaiman as a much more nineties nineties guy. That's sort of when I became aware of him, like mm. probably eighty nine, ninety. And then Douglas Adams was way before that. Like it was Probably 1983 or yeah, something. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. So he died. Uh, Douglas Adams passed away at 49. Very young. Oh, you! So. Well, I just turned 49. Well, that makes me feel, feel a little, uh, a little more. You're just a baby, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a he had a heart attack. Well, this book said so. Uh, he had a heart attack right while working yeah, out. Yeah, and the general freaking yeah. out. Yeah. So <laughs> he should have just uh, procrastinated. Yeah, don't work out. For that <laughs> don't exact work out. Yeah. Oh, it's true. When I was a kid, um, m- my grade five teacher, um, her husband was out jogging and had a heart attack and died. And I was like, damn. And he wasn't that old. So clearly, jogging is not something I should do either. Yeah, I I, I, I think that's correct. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go for a, uh, a walk. That someone died, you know, uh, climbing a rock too. So I shouldn't do that. Definitely, I, I think we should just sit. I'm gonna go for a sit. See how that. <laughs> yeah. Have a lie down. A if sitting, if right? you sit, you're gonna die too. So well, <laughs> have a little <laughs> lie down. Over here, you guys. So no no one's died. Panic. Don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> no one's died playing computer games, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, the, you know those those uh, those kids in Korea who play uh, StarCraft for seventy two hours and then die. Oh yeah, okay, just don't play. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Sleep, one. sleep. <laughs> That's right. Just lay in bed and sleep. You all could, the time. You could uh, spend that much time playing the Infocom Hitchhiker's Guide. I never finished it. I've started it I many times. It either, I, I, I I finished it with the help of Invisiclues. Which they even mentioned in this book, which I found found funny. That's fun. Yeah. Is that the game? Is that the game that they're talking about in this book? Yep. Yeah, it's in, a the text, impossibly difficult game. one. Yeah, it, 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 and you can. Yeah. Uh, it's you can. Uh, there's a. It's active online. Yeah, it's on the H two G two site. It's on the BBC site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you uh, type in, you know, like walk north or mm-hmm. you know. They've actually added some visual elements to it uh, that I don't think are needed but are oh, interesting. Oh, no, that's not good. I mean, they're kind of in the style me- of the TV show, so it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the game taught me so much. Like the word, I I'd never heard the word analgesic until mm-hmm. I played. Your buffered analgesic. In order to take it, in order to stop the room spinning at the beginning of the game, so I learned quickly. Oh, analgesic is oh, that's Tylenol. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. 
So yeah, one of the things that I, I love telling people uh, is that Hitchhiker's Guide was a radio show first, mm-hmm. and that the novel was a novelization of the radio show. Yeah, and I didn't know that. That, that, yeah. that usually surprises people, but um, mm-hmm. I loved oh, reading about that. Oh, okay, so, so so that gives me a question for everybody, since I assume we've all consumed what In what order did you consume the various forms of Hitchhiker's Guide? So I started off with the TV show, then went to the novel, then went to the then went to the radio shows, and then finally, more recently, the movie. Hmm. Well, so for me, else? so for me in the in the eighties in high school, um, Hitchhiker's Guide was a book that was floating around all the time. Um, I didn't have access; I didn't even know about the radio show at all. But I never read the novel. Other people did. And then when I was in college, um, a friend of mine had uh, a cassette with Hitchhiker's Guide on it. And that was the first time I heard it. And I've learned that what that was, was the record album, mm-hmm. right? Ah. which was actually slightly different from the radio show, um, huh. which I recently found a copy of, but that was my first exposure was audio. And it is, it was just awesome. It was yeah. so much different than everything I had heard before. Mm-hmm. That's why he was such a big hit. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, how about you guys? What was your first exposure to Hitchhiker's? I read them first, then mm-hmm. listened to the radio, then read them again, then didn't know there was a TV show, saw the movie, read them a hundred times more. <laughs> You've never seen the, the TV show then? No, no, I didn't. I, I, I used to think that I was a huge fan, and now I find out I'm middling at best. <laughs> <laughs> and you never played the game either. I never played oh, the game. Oh, I forgot, the, I forgot the game in the middle of that. The game came after the TV show. And before reading the novel for me. And I actually have not seen the TV show other than clips from it. It's worth watching. It's it's not amazing, but it's... it's I know for a while... The graphics like are Primer, amazing. Primer Netflix. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, I was blown my mind that the graphics are all hand-drawn, they talked about in the, in, yeah, in the books. Yeah, like, that's pretty cool. I had no idea. I thought, like, oh, yeah, oh, of course they use some vector graphics. No, they hand-drew all that, like... Dang, it's animated, really? yeah. So, it was amazing. Yeah, how about you, Marissa? Uh, so mine was um, novel, which I found out about through Richard Dawkins. This mm. yeah. And Lala Ward. Then, <laughs> yeah, then the movie, and then um, the TV show this week, and the BBC radio show last night. You watched, <laughs> you watched the TV show this Not week? the whole thing. Wow. Bits of it. Yeah, what did you think of it? Uh, amazing. Like, yeah, I didn't... Just, yeah, I wish I'd yeah. seen them a long time ago and watched yeah, the Yeah, the audio is just so, I mean, like you said, it's just unlike everything. You know, and then Dirk Maggs, when he he picked up uh, the the rest of the ones that were written, you know, so that was fairly recently. That was in the 2000s that he did um, Life, the Universe, and everything all the way forward. So he, he did all the way through the quandary phase. <laughs> uh, Where can we hear those? I, I, uh, they're available you know, lots of places. So Are they? Yeah. yeah, I found the radio show on um, YouTube. Mm-hmm. I found the original ones on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And Hitchhiker's, the TV show is on Hulu at the moment. Wow. Mm-hmm. The original TV go. show, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, don't bother with the movie. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible, yeah. <sighs> yeah, and, and I, I like, you know, how they address that in this book, mm-hmm. too. So it's hard for me to know. So the the history of this book, the book is called Don't Panic. So Neil Gaiman wrote it, right? 
And then he said in the introduction that it was it was rewritten or added to by David Dixon, and then it was revised by another person, M.J. Simpson. So I don't know who wrote what in there. <laughs> but um, they did talk about the movie and how it it missed a lot. The, the, reasons, the reasons why we like uh, Hitchhiker so much is all the stuff that happens in between the mm. plot. You know? The plot is not really good. The movie good. was the plot. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it missed all this good, these asides and everything, which are where it is. You know, that's mm-hmm. where this it lives. Had- Really great commentary on that stuff of like um, the differences between the media and how storytelling works. Mm-hmm. Like, because he because he you know rewrote it for so many different mediums, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, who who here had read amazing. this book before? Because I I have a or I had a copy. I don't know if I still have a copy of the 1988 publication, which no, is very slim. It's well. just 208 pages. Yeah. Um. When I listened to the radio shows again some time ago, they had a bit at the end where they basically talk about the making of the show. And some of that intersected a bit with this is like, especially when they're talking about how they got the show off the radio show off the ground. Like, oh, yeah, okay, that, oh, yeah, I heard that before because I just listened to the radio show again and the first radio show. I -hmm. think I've only listened to the first two radio shows. I haven't finished the radio shows, which I need to do at some point. I've only listened to the first two, I think. Me too. I have to finish them. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, Dirk Maggs is brilliant. So he, Dirk Maggs is a audio drama uh, creator and he's, he's the best. He's, he's just amazing. There's all these details in the audio that are just awesome. Just hilarious. Just how he put it together is hilarious. So, but yeah, he's the one. I want to give a shout out to uh, the narrator, Simon, Simon Jones, Simon Jones. Um, yes. There's a the line. Voice of the book from the vice voice of the book from the from. Uh, no, he's not the voice of the book. He's Arthur Dent. Mm-hmm. He's oh, Arthur Peter Dent. J- yeah, bro. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm Peter Jones. I'm mixing up my Jones. Uh huh. So in this this narration, which uh, I think is pretty good, uh, only weird thing was the for some reason the chapter titles were quieter. I, I thought you did yeah. that on purpose, nope. Jesse. Nope. Had nothing to do with me. Like, Why did you do that? Why nothing to do with me. I did not do that. I, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it, it, they probably forgot to put them in and then had them do it later and whoever did it. I don't know. There's no explaining. But uh, what there is really cute, uh, well, there's a cute addition. I don't know if you guys caught it. Um, during the narration, he adds he adds his own line to the text that's not in the book. Um, when they talk about Arthur Dent um, not ever being a possible romantic lead, he, he says, hmm. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> he is so associated with Arthur Dent, it's almost like he's been typecast forever. Right. Yeah. There is no, because he was, he was also the Arthur Dent on the show. Right. It's not yeah. just his voice. Right. He was also on the TV show. So we now know what he looks like. He's wearing a bathrobe right now, wherever he is. He's got his <laughs> towel. <laughs> I mean, I might recognize the guy who played for Prefect, but maybe, you know, Arthur Dent has that very distinctive voice. He's a very distinctive character. And in thinking about what reading at this time, with the additional material, which is not insubstantial, um, 
I was thinking about how interesting it is to think of Hitchhikers as a reaction to Doctor Who, because he, all the problems that he has in writing, Gaiman, not Gaiman, um, uh, Adams, Adams has Adam. in writing is because his characters are not cooperating, right? They are just sort of, they're not real people. They're, they're kind of jerks. <laughs> um, and so when he tries to, you know, make plot happen, it doesn't, it doesn't work so well. And that is, the opposite of Doctor Who. Doctor Who allows character to be in the background. Um, you know, it doesn't, so I, I had a, I think it was last Saturday, we did a show and I was talking about my favorite, uh, John Pertwee episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> or one of my favorites. Oh yeah, yeah. We got we got wrapped up talking about the Green Death, didn't we? Yeah, I think it's called the Green Death or something like that. It, it turns out it was not the Third Doctor; it was the Fourth Doctor. And you were thinking of a different. You were you were thinking of uh, you were thinking of one of the Key to Time episodes. Yeah, it was stick. a Key to Time episode. But the important part was it was about the environment, and there was a plot, and the reveal right of what what's actually going on who the bad guy is oh it's colonialism it's uh fracking right that's what the show was about but the doctor was sort of peripheral to the plot of getting giving this sort of social commentary and this reveal of how uh you know colonialism and and business you know mining works and so i i had assumed based on the the topic that it was the third doctor because he was really uh in the era where there was a lot of environmental episodes and wasn't <laughs> the doctor is sort of peripheral to doctor who what's important is the writing of the plots that the themes that they're going for the ideas they're exploring are the most important thing and when you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> you realize he, he does these stunts, right? Where he blows up the earth and then continues the story, right? <laughs> he, he, uh, you know, says, we're going to the restaurant at the end of the universe. And then he has to work out what that means, right? It's the opposite of plotting. And, you know, there's somebody <laughs> I know who's very much like, um, Douglas Adams in, in sense of humor, and that's my friend Misa. Oh, because Aww. you, it's not, it's not just a compliment. It's like it was striking to me when I first met you, Misa. You had just made an audio drama, and it was basically as I've never seen anybody do anything as close to Douglas Adams' style of humor as you. You really put the jokes and the funny situations at the forefront, and then there's a plot that somehow connects it all, but the plot is not what we're there for. We're there for the jokes. We're there for the funny situations. We're there for the, the, um, surprising <laughs> reveal of what, you know, what the earth was for, or, you know, and I just, I think that that's so unusual, right? Like he, Douglas Adams breaks all the rules 
of what writing is supposed to be about in the novel form. But it, but but almost at a cost. I mean, if you talk about how he's writing scripts just before airtime in the second series, it's like he was not only on the seat of his pants, he was on the seat of the seat of the seat of his pants trying to make basically, you know, the, the old cartoon of building the train track in front of you as the train's going. That was Douglas Adams writing, apparently, from all I could tell. Mm-hmm. It's and it worked. It's it, he was a genius. he's an Im, he's improv, right? That's what it is. It's not uh, so you know you say uh you know you you it's like I say save it for the podcast it's because if you pre-rehearse it you get you know lines of it's like setting down lines of track that prevent you from seeing where the road takes you You right? know what I think part of it is What's that wrote don't panic in the cover because writing was a process of panic oh panic, for sure panic, 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 for panic, sure panic. so that, that's living right at the very edge like i have to put it out the second before i record it because i don't have a fucking word i notice that. notice also that you know when i i went to try and reread it recently i had i say recently probably like five years ago i sent scott uh I asked Scott to send me some paperback copies of it from paperback swap because he was always paperback swapping. Mm-hmm. And he sent me some in the mail, I think. Um, and then I went and started reading it because I thought it'd be good for my students. And then I realized, oh, this is, it's not for everybody, but more importantly, it's not really for kids. It's for, I don't know, 14 year olds or something like that because <laughs> the opening scene after, you know, he wakes up. They go to the pub, and I'm like, I don't go to the pub. Why did I think this was so interesting? In fact, that's basically what what Douglas Adams was. He was a guy who went to the pub and made jokes with his friends, and they made funny observations, and then every once in a while, he had to somehow monetize that and not be at the pub making those jokes and funny observations. He needed to actually go and, you know, fulfill the contract that he had set up. And so it's amazing that, you know, when you're hearing those letters later in the book, people writing to him, asking him questions where he, you know, what he did this, uh, what job qualifications he had, uh, you know, letters of uh, sexual requests and stuff like that. Um, his answers are just like the kinds of answers that characters would give to these numbered questions because he's just, that's just his personality. One of the questions was, did you do any research for any of this stuff? <laughs> and the answer is of course, 100% hell no, right? 100% hell no. And that is not what, you know, you're going to write about, you know, earthquakes or you're going to write about, you know, hiking through the mountains. You probably should have done some of that. Well, he did. Right. And when he goes on his, uh, you know, journey to visit some obscure extincting animal, he takes that and uses it. But everything in his life gave him the first book and the first radio series. Right. It's just basically what we're getting is his personality sort of written down, what you would have at if you were sitting in the bar or the pub with him. It would be the same sort of stuff, but. You know, just the best bits or just the bits that got written down. 
so that's, I think, sort of the issue is, is the crystallizing it can be very, um, it's like an exam, right? And if you remember early in the book, they're talking about his life, um, at school. They, one of the things they said about him, the teacher said, or maybe he said about what the teachers thought is that he would never give answers until he fully understood. You remember that part? I do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, is kind of why, cause he, he, de- he wasn't like late to appointments. He was late to, to deadlines. And it's that crystallization of, of that bullshit that makes it sort of formal and real. And you, how can you write down, you know, something that's supposed to be worthy of reading until you have enough wisdom to write it down? I mean, if you think about how weird this book series is, it's so meta, right? Even, you know, even the later two books, but just The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Self, it's a book about a book. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. and the very first thing that happens, and I think this is what's so striking in everybody's mind, is the earth is destroyed. <laughs> so everything <laughs> that we, all the firm ground that we think we live on is completely taken away. And it's got a very funny parallel with the destruction of his home, right? Which we can all sort of get behind, but then you make it bigger. It's the destruction of your home. <laughs> and then when you know i read all i think i read all of them i don't remember finishing mostly harmless um and i didn't read the salmon of doubt but even uh, even in so long and thanks for all the fish i found you know lots of really interesting ideas and his um you know what we sort of find memorable to talk to other people about oh 42 and towel um yeah but there's 42 in towel. <laughs> but if you think about it, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a scene where a whale is falling infinitely <laughs> and <then laughs> suddenly hits the ground and the flower pot that's right beside it that is falling. And you think about like, oh, it's about existence. It's about our place in the universe. It's about not being grounded and it's about, uh, our own ridiculous obsessions, right? <laughs> and so when we get Ulan Kalufid writing angry books about how God doesn't exist, <laughs> that's very relatable. Um, <laughs> some yeah, more of so God's I, greatest I, no, mistakes. I, I agree with that, but you know, it's like to me, you know, the broader thing is it's about philosophy. Yes, you know, it's just about thinking about thinking. It's about, it's meta. Know, yeah, so it is meta, but it, the, the just what I love about it are these things, you know, like the the books about God that he talks about and, um, you know, the popping into existence from nothing mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out what the heck is going on. But, and then you hit the ground. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just brilliant, you know, it but it's, it, it, so, it connects in some way to life, you know, and, and when you read it, you feel like, um, these are, these are big ideas, you know, and, and they're big the questions destroyed. The mm-hmm. earth is gone. I mean, even that alone, it's just like, Holy crap, the earth is gone. Mm hmm. You know, even though it's a comedy, there's like, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're not here for very long. I mean, it's, it's just somehow it connects with all this super deep stuff mm-hmm. and it's comedy and it's funny and it makes you feel smart when you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all that stuff. 
And the the connection to Jonathan Swift is not wrong. Um if you if you remember Gulliver's Travels, um it it seems like it's a comedy piece and if you watch the you know Jack Black movie where he's peeing on the royal palace to put out the oh. fire it's it's good and don't slam that movie for um, for I, I, I being what it prefer, is i vastly prefer the uh the to dance and tv series well, the important part of the book is that after all of these ridiculous adventures the last one he goes to the land of the winnems right and he realizes these horses are much more cultured than these ridiculous humans and it's kind of a sadness it, that's the thing is it's Douglas Adams isn't only about these, these, um, you know, hilarious situational jokes, which are throughout the books and even the Dirk Gently series, right? They're, they're throughout. There's also these really sad things. Like there's this, there's lots of lonely people. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. It, it was surprising when we read, I read or heard, um, he he said the character one of the characters he related to most was Marvin. Mm. 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 I remember there was a lady who who lived on Earth and she I can't remember it's in the first book I'm pretty sure and she she could never connect to anybody except for some other person on some other planet and then the Earth is destroyed mm. and it's like oh yeah that's that's the it 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 is it's not just faulty tower sort of absurdist ridiculous character humor or or it there's a, there's another level to it which is a kind of deep sadness um and you know think about a book like last last chance to see right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the meaning of lift i've never read that one i, I i've never even heard of it do you i never heard that yeah one. yeah that was new to me i've heard yeah, of the last last chance to see is something i need to find um I know that there was a book about it too, but I'm more interested in the with the radio episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want cool to I wanna hear to those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I only um, was exposed to that through the Stephen Fry mm-hmm. show where he retraced his steps. Uh, it, it, it turns out it is on. Uh, Jesse won't yeah. like it. It is on. It is on Audible. The last chance the, to see. Yeah, I just found the it. Original? The radio well, show. Cool. The original BBC radio series in search of world's most endangered oh, species. It's cool. right there, waiting yeah. for you. <laughs> I, I so, read it. Oh, nice. Three so, Marissa, what what did did Stephen Fry on the TV? He retraced the steps of Douglas Adams on that. Yeah, yeah. As far as I remember. Yeah, I, I remember that too. I didn't know if he was like going to different. You know, so the idea there was to sort of. Follow track up, down, mm-hmm. track down endangered species, yeah, and try to get a photo or something. But, and apparently, yeah. Stephen Fry was the guy that was living in Douglas Adams' house while he was away on that trip and was mm-hmm. like fielding all his calls and doing research for him. Oh, yeah. cool! Yeah, it, they actually have a kind of similar personality with their yeah. obsession with words. You know, Stephen Fry has uh, did a, did a show um, called uh, English Delights for radio. Yeah, um, and I've heard some of those. That's really good. Um, and he he's also done two books on ancient Greek myths and heroes and tracing tracing their origins and telling their stories. They're really great. And he no, yeah, reads them himself. They're really great. He is he's um, also got that sort of academic mind and also got a lot of uh, sadness within him too. Right, he's uh, depressive. Mm-hmm. So um, it's no wonder they connected. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it is, it is astounding to see the impact of this guy because he wasn't around that long. He wrote seven, eight books, nine books, maybe depends on how you count. Right. Um, and really impactful. And yet I'm also like thinking, I don't think I need to re re revisit any of the trilogy in six parts or whatever it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there was a Dirk Mags, not Dirk Mags, a Dirk Gently TV show. Um, I started mm -hmm. watching it as it, I thought, oh, it's, it's got, it's going for what he has, but it didn't, it was zany rather than, uh, deep. It missed the mark, didn't it? Right? It, it, Too he, shallow. He takes, he takes some, some idea that Asimov would work on for like a book trilogy and he, he says, this is what we're going for. And it's a, and he has a, it's a comedy piece, right? It's a comedy piece because <laughs> the, the mice say, um, if it all turns out to be a bad question, uh, uh, if it all turns out to be a stupid answer, at least we'll have an elegant question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that is, uh, it's a, you know, he's, he's always, um, informed by science in the same way that Lovecraft is informed by science. He says, you know, deep time is real. Space is vast. <laughs> right? What's the line from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? You can't believe how big space is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. big. Really big. Now, whatever you're imagining <laughs> it is, it's much bigger than that. Right? And, yeah, yeah. and then being centered in, and being this small, Right. And then finding out that the earth is not there for us. It's just part of a greater experiment. And the mice were in the important things that the dolphins were, were rather, um, in on the game. <laughs> and we're just foolishly, you know, an accident that that's. It's and important. Even more than accent, we're not even the original people designed for the Earth. We're we're the descendants of the Golga French and beer. <laughs> so it's even even more screwed up than, than you even thought at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my uh, favorite things is um, he did a recording. It's called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Live in Concert. Mm. If you guys haven't heard that, I urge you to check it out. Um, it's just him reading hitchhiker's guide for about an hour to an audience and he picked sections and um it's just fantastic Love um, to hear every that. now and then i yeah yeah i'll be sure to get it to you but it's you. it's just uh brilliant um yeah it's, it's mentioned uh that he did the dove audio audiobooks and those are i read them in paper of course uh in the 80s Mm -hmm. And then uh, eventually I got those Dove audios and they are, he was definitive reader for his own stuff. Oh, it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, and then, you know, Stephen Fry has read them and you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're great too. It's yeah. I've heard a couple of different ones. I don't know why they keep re-recording them like that, but, uh, <laughs> there's, but yeah, you, you can sell them again. Too. That's <laughs> why. Yeah, so they, yeah. yeah. Why money? Money, yeah. uh, it's uh, it's funny. Do do we know what estate he has? Because it must have been huge. He he points out, uh, or it's pointed out in the book game. It points out um, that he you know he would spend money, but then you know it was it was usually something he didn't enjoy. Right? 
<laughs> and go <laughs> get a car and then drive it around the city yeah. and hate it. Um, Crash so, in front of people. <laughs> right. And, you know, lots of gadgets, but you can only have so many Macs in your house, right? You can only have so many. Yeah, I didn't quite realize how much of a technophile he was. It makes total sense with what, it makes total what he sense. says with the digital watches. He's always talking about himself. <laughs> what a ridiculous monkey descendant I am. Yes, monkey descendant. <laughs> that is funny. You know, we think digital watches are still a pretty good idea. You know, that's one of those dated ideas now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you do not want a digital watch. Very much. Now. He's very I much of his know, time. The Apple watches. I guess those are still digital, but uh, yes. It's funny how that's evolved. And there's no shame in it, which there no. should be, because he he points out how shameful it is. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, you know. How about, you know, speaking of that, how about his idea for an encyclopedia online that everybody mm. contributes to? So I don't know, did that predate Wikipedia? It did, yes. yes. That's okay. so cool, eh? Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, it, you, you know it did. You know it did, Scott, because really he's talking about Wikipedia with the guide itself, right? Yeah, yeah. And then true. when he, you know, does a digital development later when the internet's a thing. Yeah, um, yeah but the the guide, you know, they had employees, right? Isn't the yeah. word prefect was an employee gathering data for the I think, encyclopedia? I don't think well. he was a paid employee. I think he was paid by the piece, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe so, yeah. Uh, in, in which case, it's much more like him, right? You Most go to Rick. Harmless. You go to Rickmansworth, and you check out the pub, and then you go <laughs> right up Hopefully a piece. He's not getting paid by the word. Well, when he did, he was only paid for two well, words. No, 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 mostly no, harmless. He wasn't, wasn't being paid by word because remember, it's um, it's a remember he changes the uh, guide for for Earth from mo- harmless to mostly harmless. Right, right. right. So if he was being paid by the word, he would have put in more. <laughs> Double the word count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean that, that that adds to that insignificance, right? Yes. You know, so the Earth being destroyed, I mean, it makes you feel small. It makes you feel like you know, here's your place in the universe, um, which is a good thing, you know. And then uh, just the fact that all of human history is summed up in some galactic encyclopedia as you know, mostly harmless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the pain, all the everything that everybody's been through for all of history is just two words in an encyclopedia. <laughs> That's amazing. I want to, oh, and, and of course, in the next issue, they won't even have that because the Earth is gone. You don't need to have the entry. <laughs> Nobody's going to visit it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I seem to recall, like I think in the third or fourth book, when uh, when uh, Arthur uh, looks at the guide, it suddenly has all these entries on all these sorts of things on Earth, and he's surprised, like, "What the heck?" I, yeah, I think it was like the guide was updating itself, as I recall. Mm-hmm. He was just surprised that some of these weird reams of information about Earth, because Earth is back, of course, but they mentioned it in the, in the book, like, mm-hmm. suddenly Earth has now got major portions in the guide, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite scene in all of Hitchhiker's sort of section is when um, Arthur Dent is trapped in the distant past, mm-hmm. and he's just sitting there, you know, he doesn't know what to do, it's been years and years and years. And he's in Islington, but mm-hmm. there won't be a train for 10 million years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and then, you know, they figure out, you know, suddenly a sofa appears and Ford Prefect is there and all that stuff. And they end up on a cricket ground in modern times. Uh, I, that, that whole section was just so good. Mm-hmm. I, I must have heard it like 50 times. Just love it. 
it's very absurdist. It's like it so is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but but damn, once once you stranded people six million years ago, how, like how do you get them back? You can't do anything rational. So you, <laughs> so why not a time traveling sofa? Why yeah. not? <laughs> and uh, yeah, entwined with that section is also that guy who uh, he's he's an immortal and he decides that he's going to insult everyone in the universe one at a time in person. <laughs> so he's, you know, he spends all this time flying and he, he lands, you know, and, and he, and, uh, Arthur Dent is like, I'm saved. There's a ship right here. And this guy comes out and says, are you Arthur Dent? <laughs> and, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> he said, you're a jerk, Dent, complete asshole. And then turns around, gets on his ship and leaves. And all the while, Arthur Dent is like, what the hell's happening? Oh, it's just so good. So I have a uh, little high school anecdote about Hitchhiker's Guide. Hmm. So in high school, I wasn't the most popular person, and there was popular people, beautiful popular girls. It turned out the best friend of the Queen Bee turned out to be a Hitchhiker's fan. We found, found out by accident at a party. Hmm. I found out we both liked Hitchhiker's Guide, and so she signed... So when she signed my yearbook, she said, I'm partying with Bogons tonight. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, I, nice. I, I appreciated that. That's yeah. so cute. Oh, that that is so cool. And I, I love that just in life, you know, uh, throughout life, science fiction genre stuff. When I meet someone who shares that, it's like an instant connection. There's, Absolutely. you know, so I met someone that we have a new employee at work. And she comes in carrying uh, a Brandon Sanderson book. Oh, there and you go. Now suddenly, uh, oh, you're in the group. <laughs> well, well, what else have is, we read? What do you is read? Is it mandatory now? to read yeah. Sanderson in Utah? Is it a law? <laughs> it could be, yeah. Just um, like it's a law to read Bouchard here in Minnesota, you have to read Sanderson in Utah. <laughs> well, uh, that's there's something related to that in the book that I thought was really interesting, and uh, Marissa should be perking up her ears at this being a into that whole marketing and s- stuff thing. You know, uh, when they knew that they had a hit on their hands, what did they do? They put an ad in the in Rolling Stone saying free books to the first. You know, ten thousand people who write in. It's 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 creating the the word of mouth, the market by bootstrapping the the thing that actually works, right? So you can totally market the heck out of something, including a movie like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, and that will put bums in seats on the first day, perhaps. But once the word of mouth gets out about what the movie's like. If it's a piece of shit movie, nobody wants to see it, right? So yeah, you can artificially boost stuff, but the the best way is when you have something that you really know works, you just get the word of mouth going. I mean, that's how I heard about Hitchhiker's Guide. It wasn't from it wasn't from, you know, some marketing campaign that put it on breakfast cereal. <laughs> it was, you know, that wasn't uh, tied into a McDonald's, you know, happy meal. It was Somebody saying this book is hilarious to me, and then me getting a copy of that book, and then me saying, "Oh my God, this book is hilarious," and handing it to somebody else, and then them picking it. Right? It's it's a kind of yeah. Can you imagine the like the the Wednesday night thing? You know, they they heard it on Wednesday night, and and then it became all from word of mouth. Mm. Uh, from this obscure, no promo 
thing. Yeah, it, it was that whole discussion was really interesting to me in, that, in this book when uh, you know they talked about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh huh. And if you Which take is the a Rocky good comparison, I think. Sure. Yeah. And if you take the Rocky Horror Picture Show and you you put you know New York Times ads and you know uh, ads everywhere, the, the the very people that you want that would be interested are turned off by that. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the idea that Rocky Horror Picture Show needs word of mouth. Hey, you got to come with me to go see the show. It's my 50th time. You know, um, that's, that's how it happened. It's not ads. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fascinating to me. Yeah, and I think they mentioned in the book somewhere, I can't remember what they were promoting, but they were like, they threw a whale off Tower Bridge into the yeah. like a 25 foot inflatable whale. And they're like, no one cared, but the police weren't very happy. About it. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, it didn't help their sales at all. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I, um, also, yeah. I like that they were talking about the marketing for the book three or whatever it is. And it was, it was the, uh, marketers had no idea what the book would be about, but they had the job of promoting it. So what did they do? They did exactly what, what it's, you know, it's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a book. It's about a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So they say, we have a new book to promote. <laughs> The book is about something. Right now, Douglas Adams is hopefully writing very rapidly. <laughs> because our jobs depend on him <laughs> getting that book out. It will be out, we hope, on this date. <laughs> and then we can all breathe a sigh of relief and go to the pub and say, Whew, dodged another one. <laughs> that is... um. That is the kind of marketing that it just lets you know, oh, that guy who you like his stuff, he's making another thing. And that's like, that's all I needed, right? Because there are these people. And, and, that, and that's so powerful. I mean, in this day, I mean, even back then, I mean, even in this day and age, like books come out. And I, I'm, and I consider myself in all modesty a pretty connected person in the science fiction world as far as. Who's got a book and when it's come out? I think you are the most connected person in the science fiction world about that. I don't know anybody who even comes close to you, Paul. And even I sometimes are caught flatbird like, wait, they just came out with another book? Why did nobody tell me this? It's like (laughs) I feel betrayed whenever that happens. And it happens every month. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, oftentimes I've known for months in advance and pre-ordered and stuff. And sometimes it's like, Oh, wait a minute. What the heck? You need a whalogram, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was thinking about, um, you know, people who who have that same sort of weirdness. And my friend Misa came right up, of course. Um, I, don't, I don't know how, how, you know, inspired you were by Hitchhikers for Ace Galaxy. Was it like, I, I'm going to do my thing and it just happens to be exactly <laughs> the same spirit because exactly <laughs> your personality is kind of similar i would say it, to his yeah. um well bec- mine was because i had this book that was very much like that and and i was i wanted to turn radio and i was like the hitchhikers was radio i want to do it in in mm-hmm. audio too so i because it was just so like the that platform audio drama, I, mm-hmm. I just it just ha- opens so many possibilities. And um, your your special effects it, budget it is as big as your there. soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they mentioned they mentioned that in the thing about 
translating it to visual medium and the problems of that because like Zephyr's head they keep harping again and again was a problem in the TV series because I mean in radio you can describe it all you like but in TV you actually have to make the thing work or quasi work yeah I did I love that discussion right around uh, last chance to see when um, you know they were recording audio and they, some stuff happened and they they just realized you know audio is the way to do this they, mm-hmm. they really you know and I love audio clearly <laughs> but uh there's just something about it that's intimate and um you know just putting a microphone on yourself and then going and looking for these animals i can't wait to hear that mm-hmm. um but but just the discussion about what the advantages of audio are and it's not just well you have to put on makeup you have to have other people you know, have to carry around all this equipment and everything there's just something about it that you can do um, There's a magical world creating in audio. Absolutely. The other and, and, and yeah, and the and the listener is a participant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a know, total so, participation. Yeah. yeah, some of the audio dramatists I've heard rely on the audience more than others. You know, there's there are things that are just like, this is not important for me to detail, so I'm going to let the imagination fill that mm-hmm. and I'm going to move on, you know? Right. I've seen um, conversations. I haven't actually listened to a lot of audio drama horror stuff, but I've seen people talking about it where they're saying that it's, it affects them so much worse than watching a horror movie mm-hmm. or something oh. similar. Yeah. It's powerful. Their, yeah. Their powerful. imaginations are just so activated in the audio. Yeah, That's for true. sure. And I've felt that you can't shut, times. you can't shut your eyes to the audio. Right. Um, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it's it's your internal eye that's seeing what's happening. And if it's done by somebody skilled, <laughs> it just it just works. It goes right in you. Um, yeah, I think there was a Nightfall episode called uh, The Room or something mm-hmm. like that. I'd mm-hmm. have to look back. Yep. But man, that, that was scary stuff. It, it is. And it's all audio. It's just right there in your head. It's, it's just, super scary. Wow. Yeah. And, and very effectively done, too. It doesn't sound studio-bound. It sounds like it's set in the place that it is. Uh, Fred Greenhalge is really good at this too. There's the, you know, we talked about Dirk Maggs, who's, um, you know, he's the, pre- I guess the premier science fiction guy in, in the UK. Um, so he does a lot of Neil Gaiman stuff. The mm-hmm. Good Omens is, you know, terrific. It's probably one of his best examples. But in podcasting, uh, there's my friend Misa. Yep. And she's just got a new show out. I, I, is it on YouTube as well? It is on YouTube. Okay. Yes. No, no point watching it on YouTube because it's just a still image, but, um, I'm looking forward to having the, uh, audio in my, in my feed and, and then I Yay. will listen to it. Um, I'm looking forward to giving it to you. Uh, good. I, uh, I also was thinking about like, uh, who else is like this? You know, uh, he, he's, um, a little bit like Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman was obsessed with and is obsessed with, uh, the, the, uh, Norse gods, right? We see that. Um, but Neil Gaiman seems much more disciplined and much more, um, and he's funny, but he's, he's much more structural. Um, yeah, it's very controlled. Very, very controlled. Structure. And then I thought, uh, I thought a little bit about how, um, the Lego movie is, it's, it's very disciplined as well, but actually its imagination is as, as crazy. As you can almost imagine it being, right? If you all have seen the original Lego movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it brings and crosses all of the multiverse of Lego products, right? 
from Batman and uh, their own city line and their failed, you know, attempts at Duplo and all sorts of different things and mixes it together. It, it, the plot is basically it's a it's a kid. Ultimately, it's a kid imagining, um, you know, playing Lego and building something up. And then, you know, there's the reality outside of that, which is there's a family and it's time to clean up the Lego and don't let me step on those Legos on the floor. Um, and that sort of meta-ness is there and it's very interesting, but it's much more disciplined and, uh, much more, you know, movie friendly. It wouldn't, I don't, I can't imagine a Lego audio drama. It doesn't really work. <laughs> maybe, maybe a lot of snapping noises as pieces go together or whatever, but it doesn't really work. But in books, um, it's mentioned in this, in this, uh, don't panic book and it is absolutely correct. And everybody, I think really should take another look at Robert Sheckley because I read Sheckley far after I read Douglas Adams. And Sheckley, he can do uh, sort of very um, sweet and depressing stories, but he's best when he's working, and uh, he's really good at that too. But he's really his his main thing is sort of philosophically exploding the possibilities uh, of what it is to be a a person free floating in the universe or a being free floating in the universe. So there's a story I think I had, uh, Scott probably edited up the episode on for, uh, reading short and deep, um, about these aliens that come to the earth to invade it. Um, and, uh, they come from a place or a planet where, uh, they are f- sort of amorphous when they're born, but then they take a specific shape to fit into the role of their society. It's called keep your shape is the name of the story. And when they come to this planet Earth where everything has a rigid shape from when it starts off as a seedling to be when it becomes a tree and such, um, they feel the constraints of their society um, much more and want, you know, take, sh- take other shapes. And it, you can read it as kind of like, oh, it's an analogy for uh, repressing homosexuality. It, that's not in the story. It's just, you can read it that way. But what is so amazing is you get that sense of these, these creatures freed from restriction and then wanting to be free. And once free, they find that reality is not what it was before. He, he does a, he's a book called Mind Swap, which is, uh, we've done it as a read along on this podcast. And it's about a guy who, uh, tries to go on a virtual vacation, like, uh, in total recall. <laughs> um, and he, the way they do this is you swap minds with somebody on an, on the planet you want to go visit, have your vacation on. And he basically has his body hijacked <laughs> as a series of t- attempts to try and get into his original body and get back to where he, he was. And, Increasingly, his life is made difficult by all of the aliens that he finds himself swapped into. Sheckley is so zany um, and yet grounded in a, a, a philosophy of what what difficulties we have in in life as human beings 
it, he is very reminiscent of uh, Adams, and yet absolutely not heard of compared to Douglas Adams, right? It's just like, he is, he is, the comparison was also made in this book to Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut has a stature far higher. He's a, he's a towering figure compared to Sheckley. And yet Sheckley is far closer in that, uh, philosophical, yeah, philosophical obsession with, you know, who am I? What are we all here for? Isn't this weird? <laughs> and I read him. he's really good. He's really good. And he, he can write straight up to make some money. And he wrote a ton, uh, especially mm-hmm. of short fiction, but it, he, he is, he's not the same man as Douglas Adams, right? He, he's much more um, able to get his work done, but he has these moments where you say, Oh yes, this is, this is very Adams, Adams. And he was doing it long before he, he was born in 1928, died just around the same time as, um, as Adams, but he had a career starting in the fifties and he wrote, uh, right up into the eighties. And there's, there's so many stories. I just found another story by him that I'm looking forward to reading that the, that kind of specialness is very rare. I can't, how many other people can you think of? I've, I've named Misa. <laughs> there's Douglas Adams. Neil Gaiman, I don't think he—he's not nearly—he's not really about the funnies, right? He can be funny, and there's lots of cuteness, but he's not really the same way. Um, no, the, yeah, and there's the, Shackley. Yeah, the, the humor is not Gaiman's point. Uh, who else is there that's anything close to that in science fiction? Uh, it's—I it's, mean, as far as humor itself, yeah. Or, but humor um, in the same, like how about Harry Harrison? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, the stainless steel rat has got that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. But I think no, Harrison but, was more disciplined than. Yeah. And, than and also it's much, it, he, he would stick to his, his plotting. Where I, I don't know, I don't know how Misa did her, her stuff because, um, you have an overall theme. There's this book of destiny, right? Mm-hmm. But pretty much. <laughs> you know, the people trying to steer things back, it's like you trying to control what you've got written down, maybe. Uh, I'm speaking for you, but um, uh, just seeing it from the outside, it's like there's endless possibilities. I got a couple of, because uh, I did a Google and just jogged my brain, a couple mm-hmm. of authors possibly moving to the Douglas Adams direction, although nobody is quite Douglas Adams. Um, what about in a more literary vein, Jasper Ford. I've never read Jasper Ford. I've heard. His stuff is very meta, very literary. I mean, people going into literary world and dealing with literary characters and very mordant humor. Um, Tom Holt writes a lot of humorous I don't, I don't, I've never heard of him either. And he, Tom Holt is also, uh, he also happens to be, what's his name? Um, KJ Parker. Yeah, K.J. Parker, which is a very different mode. When I found out that K.J. Parker was Tom, I was like, really? <laughs> They're like anything alike each other. I'm looking at the um, book covers. Terry They're Pratchett. very colorful. Yeah, Terry Pratchett, yeah, Terry I was thinking Pratchett. a little Pratchett bit. Terry Pratchett's much more disciplined. How could I forget Pratchett? My goodness, yeah. I mean. He's a Neil Gaiman collaborator, though, right? So Yeah. Yes, he has collaborated. On that Good him. Omens that I mentioned, which is yeah. probably the most Hitchhiker's Guide-like type of humor that I've heard. Mm. It was yeah, super fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, 
I think I think you have it right, Scott. I think it's the most Douglas Adams like book not written by Douglas Adams would be Good Omens. Um, yeah. There there was another one that they mentioned in Don't Panic, um, A Canticle for Leibowitz. But, mm. but, but that's not humor. It's not a comedy. Miller's not that funny? humor. It's not funny. It, um, it, it, what it is is it's it's wry. It's arch. So because it's a it's a it's satirical, but it it's you wouldn't know it on the page. You have to sort of stand back ten you feet from go the back book. Half later, <laughs> stand ten back ten feet away from the book, and then say, and, "Ah, yes." Two years later, like, uh-huh. oh, that's oh, the wondering Jew. Oh, I get it. He's yeah. it, you know Philip K. Dick is kind of like like it in Galactic Pod Healer. He's a little bit like, like uh, Douglas Adams. Um, yeah, uh, uh, in Galactic the, 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 the Pot Healer, scene is very Adams-like. Yeah, and it has that sense of um, what am I doing here? Um, the in fact, there is a scene mentioned in this book um, uh, that's kind of similar to the one where he talks about the bowl of mash, Martian fatworm soup. Right when you call up. Mr. Mr. Deity on the phone. <laughs> you talk to the god of your choice, um, and he gives you advice based on what you should do with your life. And um, if you call up the Jewish god, he says, "Have a nice bowl of Martian fatworm soup. <laughs> That'll make things things will seem better after that." There's a kind of um, yeah, sort of reaching and um, stretching for. Just outside, and you know, like Red Dwarf is not the same thing. It's funny. It's it's science fiction. It's comedy, but it's not. It doesn't have quite the same thing because the the characters in Red Dwarf are idiots. (laughs) They are flawed in a tremendous way that prevents them from you know achieving their goals, and yet they're subject to the plots, which are great. Um, but in the case of, um, of the characters in, in the Hitchhiker's Guide, they are, they are subject far more to the plots of and whims of the reality of the authors setting up problems for them than, than sort of an episode of the week. It's amazing that it works at all, right? Because he's got this spectacular opening where he destroys the Earth, and then somehow he manages to bumble his way through and give us some almost, you know, they're almost truths that he's talking about. That's why he's so popular. He's he's is it's like a stand-up comedian telling you something that's really relatable, but in this case, there are things that are totally unrelatable, but perfectly, you know. When I first met the uh, the um, the beast at the restaurant at the end of the universe that wants you to have Love a bite of him. <laughs> Peter, Peter, yeah, Peter, Peter Davison, Davison from, played the Davison from Doctor Who. Yeah, and at the time, that's in the TV show though. When I saw the TV show, I had not seen a fifth Doctor episode, so I didn't realize how weird that was. And then later, they later I made the catch. I went, "Oh, oh man, weird." But just you know, if you can program. A, or genetically engineer a piece of meat to want you to eat it. <laughs> that solves a lot of the vegans' problems. 
right? <laughs> Please, my my hindquarters are incredibly tender. <laughs> when you when you have me fricasseed, you will be in heaven. Have a little sniff. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, that is uh, essentially um, the problem we're all faced with, right? <laughs> all these difficult philosophical questions. We have been thrown down on this planet. We didn't choose to be here. We're here now. What are we going to do about it? I don't know. We'll figure it and, out. And, and that reminds me that that reminds me of a Robert Checkley story. Have you done any of your shows Pilgrimage to Earth yet, Mm-mm. Jesse? Mm-mm. Oh, have you read that one? I have not. No. You should. It's it. Um, Pilgrimage is about Alfred Simon, who was born on a far distant planet. And he comes to Earth to find out what Earth is all about. He, he is human, but and he winds up going to this among many other weird things. And you really should do it for like reading short and deep, or we could do it for this podcast. I'm not sure if there's an audio version or it's, not. It's uh, published in Playboy, so it's probably renewed. But I'll check it out. Um, but but he 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 winds up getting scandalized by what Earth's become. And there's one point there's a shooting gallery where we can shoot real people. <laughs> and he asks the people, can you, can, I mean, aren't you going to die? And, and, he says, and they say, just don't be stupid. It's like, the, and finally goes through all the stuff. And finally he goes back to the shooting gallery and says, set them up. So it's like, mm-hmm. which, which now reminds me of the, uh, of the, uh, of the Peter Davidson, uh, creature. copyright like, renewed yeah. on that one. Sorry, Paul. Sorry. It's a great story. I had not realized until I just Googled it that it was Robert Sheckley. I remembered the story and remembered the name. Oh, wait. Maybe realize. not. It says uh, on the book. So maybe maybe the uh, the book publication of Pilgrimage to Earth. Maybe maybe the original short story. But it's, but it's got that mordant sense of humor that, as you pointed out, Sheckley has. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I get the sense he was a depressive has. himself at points. I, 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 I found an e-text online, so even you can read it. Oh no! There's not. Yeah, if I, I'd love to get somebody to narrate it. I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to do a show on it. Take to, he's, take he's it. just, he's just wonderful, and there's so many short stories yeah. that he, he does this, this uh, special thing, which is funny because uh, Douglas Adams, he wrote a, like a handful of short stories. They're mentioned many times in this, in this book. You know, Zaphod plays Don't it safe, and safe, yeah. yeah. Um, what's the, is it Attila or is it a Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan, his Genghis yeah. Khan story, mm-hmm. which is, which is like, he doesn't have time conquer, he has to talk to accountants. <laughs> Poor Genghis Khan. It's, it's, it's funny stuff. It's funny stuff, but he, he and, did and have Brock- a serious output problem. Yeah, I, I, which... I did play, I did play Bureaucracy too, the other game he wrote for Infocom. Hmm. That, where, 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 where you're trying to get a, where you're trying to get to a, a trip to France and things just, <laughs> Go all wrong with the bureaucracy. Yeah, mm. it was very. I didn't, I didn't know he'd done another one. That's pretty cool. They mentioned it in the book. Okay, I must have missed it then. Yeah, yeah it's it's not um, prominent for sure. It's 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 not Hitchhikers. I mean, Infocom made Zork and a few other games, and then they hit the big time with Hitchhikers, and then unfortunately, Infocom crashed partially because well, graphics were becoming a thing, and partially because they made some less than stellar choices in some of their books. But, you know, I mean, that game is so deep. I, when I, when I, I never really finished it. Right. So what I would do in, it was hard and get to a certain point is, like, yeah, and they said it was standard difficult because you had, you had standard expert and advanced. Difficulties I don't remember that. And this was listed as it like a standard, like, no, 
This is not a st- I played more advanced Infocom. It's, it was, was it was a ga- it was very gamey like you you have to you know it it had Harry lots of good features but what I really liked about it other than you know it's a fun experience doing that that uh chatbot style interface was that you can actually read entries in the guide and so I would just like spend time typing in queries into the actual hitchhiker's guide that's in the game so I would like be type in beer right or uh Canada or whatever and there was thousands of entries it seemed like and sometimes it would come up with nothing right but there would be you know a a little entry on something and I'd be like this is amazing it's really funny um and it felt like it was much bigger than it was I guess because the program probably fit on a thumb drive, you know, today. Yeah. It was only a couple of discs at max, right? So it, it it's just text. But you can fit a hell of a lot of text onto a thumb drive or a couple of discs. For uh, the floppy disks, too, not even the the hard format later three and a half or whatever. I'm talking five and a quarter, yo. <laughs> yeah, a couple floppy of floppy, floppy discs. You got the whole floppy. thing. You get your invisible bag of invisible space fleet and the thing that your aunt gave you that you don't know what it is and no tea <laughs> on your inventory list. <laughs> right. I remember part of the game. They all mentioned it in the book. I remember playing the game. The one of the key parts of the game you have to be able to take away your common sense in your own brain so that you can hold t and no t at the same mm. time that mm-hmm. was a key part of finishing the game mm. you could hold these two things because if you picked up t you would say you drop no t and then you pick up no t you drop t is like you pick up t is but to hold those it's very it's very key. philosophical it's a that's it's very, a, it's very philosophical yeah. that's the same as flying Right. Mm. Yeah. Like as long as you don't remember you're flying, you can fly. Mm. Come closer to your mic. You can't hear me. You're super quiet. Or just scream. No, you're super quiet. We can hear you, but it's just like it's it's very far away. Tinny and far away. We'll wait. No, oh, it's a station I don't know what, there might be too much background noise here. Uh, huh. I don't know. You didn't, yeah, you didn't change any settings. It's, it's, I think we've had that problem before. I don't remember how we fixed it. You got another mic? Uh, no, I don't. Shoot. Bang. That sounded slightly better. We'll just we'll just be very quiet and then we'll listen closely and then I'll up the volume in the edit. What were you gonna say? Uh, I was gonna say that they it was interesting that they said this is the first computer game where an author had written mm. in his own work and it was so popular. Like they figured out that it's good to have actual writers writing video <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, true, sure. true story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who uh, we're, we're going to do another video game? Who wrote that uh, Philip K. Dick game? Do you know? Mm, I don't know. Because it it it's obviously following the plot of the movie, which is following the plot of the book, kind of. But uh, it's something you don't think about when you're playing a computer game. You know, who's who wrote it? You think about the graphics a lot, and you don't think uh, it, it's funny. You know, in the UK, 
when you watch a Doctor Who serial, or at least in the old days, you'd watch a Doctor Who serial, and it would say, by Robert Holmes, right? Right after the title credit of the name of the episode. And you don't know if he's like the, it doesn't say, it doesn't say he was the writer or the director or the, <laughs> he's probably not the actors, right? And then at the end, you get the same, you know, the, the rest of the credits. But in North America, writers don't get the, the prominent credit, right? It's usually the creator of the show. Um, it'll say, uh, created by Gene Roddenberry or whatever, right? Or executive producer or whatever is this sort of the front and center thing. But in games, the front and center thing is, is the game itself. Um, you know, the credit sequence in very rare cases, like Sid Meier might put his name on, you know, civilization or whatever. Or but, even pirates. Sid Meier's pirates. Sure. And, and, you know, Sid Meier is a, is a name you go to to get some good games. But, uh, in, in the case of, you know, most computer games, like I played tons of Police Quest. I don't know who wrote that. <laughs> I don't know who wrote King's Quest, but I do know who wrote, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. So, 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 so a video game led me into an author's work this way. So mm-hmm. back in the early nineties, there was a fantasy role, fantasy computer game called Betrayal at Chronodor and it was written in, written by Raymond Feist, who had already written a couple novels in that world. So my brothers and I played this game, and then we decided, well, we should read Raymond Feist's other novels. Mm-hmm. And then years later, Feist, apparently maybe he had a dry spot or not, decided to write a novelization of his own computer game. Mm. But he, so he wrote the computer, he wrote a couple novels in this world, then he wrote this computer game, and then later wrote a novelization of that basically does the, does the work of the... Uh, computer game and the computer game was full of texts and mm. information about the world and it was like wow this is a really interesting fantasy world we should read more about it i didn't it. play starship titanic uh very much i played it a little bit and then when i saw that the book was not by gaiman himself i thought i'm not going to read this did anybody play that starship titanic i remember there was a robot in it i i think i played a little bit of it but i don't th- i didn't ever finish it or anything like that mm. i wonder if it's on GOG. probably is Maybe. Some things are, some things aren't. Seems like one that would... There's a ton of games. There's a, it's, a, it's a very different medium, right, than, than novels. And, and it feels like it's everything is very much of its time. And with a game like I, I play PUBG now, right, it's, it's constantly changing. They're all adding features. This is something that you get in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with all the different plots. We get this all these appendices at the end of this book detailing where all the different things that you remember came from. Um, but that's very unusual for, you know, most books, there's like maybe one alternate chapter or a different ending or the author went and updated the dates in it or something, something like that. But uh, in games uh, now, especially not like, you know, 30 years ago, but in games now, there, there's a kind of, they're, they're still making it while you're playing it. And that is going to be, you know, that's a, a medium that's very different than, you know, putting when, out a radio when, show. When my daughter was deciding what did she want to do with mm-hmm. her life, mm-hmm. she wanted to go to school to write video games. Like, it's it's a thing that mm-hmm. a lot of kids, you know, that's their, their big aspiration. Hmm. Uh, that was mine, but I couldn't do it. Yeah. 
it's it's kind of it's like what 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 does it even mean <laughs> right to write a because uh, there's there's a there's a lot of like in fallout there's a lot of dialogue to write right you know responses and side quests and somebody's job is to put the, all that together coordinate it and cut this material cuz this this part's not done or we can't make this thing work but yeah like in a or a game like Red Dead Red Dead Redemption which I've not played but looks huge right um just endless amounts of dialogue and plots to plot out and little adventures to have or a game like L.A. Noir, where you you know solving murder murders in Los Angeles. There's a lot of hyper uh, you know amounts of history to bone up on and get the dialogue right for, and almost nobody gets any you know they get the credits at the end, but nobody knows the people's names. So it's kind of a really weird industry to be in. And I think they probably pay way better than regular novel writers trying to struggle yeah, through I'm them. Sure they right. Do. Right. Yeah. Like my, uh, author, my, uh, author friend, Carrie Patel writes fantasy novels, but she also wrote pillars of eternity and is now a senior developer in, in that game company, which is, she's not writing so much the text anymore, but she's like producing games now for that. I've never even heard of that game. So that tells you how many games are out there, right? Is exactly. they're just constantly pouring out new games. And it, it makes me think that the, you know, at one point, novels were the premier medium, probably in the 17th century. Uh, short stories became very popular in the late 19th century and 20th century seemed to be massively on the wane. Um, one thing I noticed that, oh, it's annoying the crap out of me. Um, new BBC radio dramas, just like in the last couple of years, they have the stupidest format. <laughs> They're like broadcasting on radio. And so what do they do? They tell a story as if it was a podcast. <laughs> and so you, can, you, you can't, you maybe be able to get this podcast about a podcast on radio, but th- it's just a new medium, right? So wh- why is that a better medium for telling, you know, an adaptation of a HP Lovecraft story as a podcast that's going out into the field and gathering, like I'm, I'm getting ready for the podcast to contribute to my Patreon. Like this is not like, like actual Patreon. It's like the format is pretending to be a podcast. That's really weird. Right. <laughs> like, like, um, we can imagine a radio show where the guy says he's writing a novel, but writing a pod, uh, you know, recording a podcast i it's kind of like they're making the blair witch out of uh putting it on tv i don't get it uh there's a lot of weird formats out there but uh douglas adams did a meta book and then it exploded the the meta book was on radio and then he turned it into an actual book with the actual cover saying the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy don't panic and then you start reading about it, and it, it's not actually the book that it says it is. It's about a guy who gets a copy of it, and another guy who's working for it, and then all sorts of stuff happens in Pangalactic Gargle Blasters. And then he keeps saying, I'm done with this, I'm done with this, I'm done with this, and he's never done, right? And I I think a lot of people should check out his Dirk Gently stuff, because I think it's just Love as good. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just yeah. as good, if not... um it's. I think it's actually more uh, timeless than, especially the Hitchhiker's Guide. I haven't gone back and reread uh, 
Dirk Gently, but I feel like it, it's, um, it's more, it's going to be more timeless because it's the digital watches stuff, the packets of peanuts and stuff that you see at the pub just seems like it's, uh, so of its period. Whereas I think Dirk Gently could be set in the eighties. It could be set in the nineties, could be set in the seventies. Um, it's dealing with, you know, more earthbound themes, but it's, it's so influential too. You don't even think about how like, so many people read it. I, I feel like even the writers of Star Trek are aware, you know, of Next Generation are aware of <laughs> of the possibilities of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and they they just say we're gonna we're gonna narrow this down, we're gonna keep it tight <laughs> and focused, and get this done. As opposed to what he was doing, which is I've got so many things, so many directions I need to go. And yet it all sort of, it worked out pretty good. And contra, oh, it's a contra extensor. And be inconsistent between versions. And I'm, I'm trying to, when I was playing the video game, I was, when they, when at the point they, all the characters except you basically go in the sauna, I thought, wait a minute, that's not in the show. That's right. And then when I listened to, when I, then when I later listened to the radio show, I like, wait a minute, this wasn't the TV series. And, it's like I, I finally got the idea. Like Douglas, Douglas Adams' genius was just like I. I don't have to be consistent. I can, I can make this work because it's not really about the plot. And it's like, oh, it's not about the plot. It's about the characters, the situation, and the philosophy. The plot is mm-hmm. just a way to get to those three. It's things. asking questions, no, not yeah. giving answers. And don't forget, one of his original premises was parallel universes, Paul. Yes, that's, so, that's also that's also true. So, so yeah, so you could really you could, doesn't make any difference in parallel universes <laughs> how consistent you are. <laughs> then, uh, Marissa, you you noised up or volumed up uh, when you're talking before we lost you completely. Oh. No, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're sounding good. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Just being temperamental. <laughs> it is very temperamental. <laughs> Well, um, are we done this book? I think it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Yeah? Uh, who cried? Did anyone cry? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. When, when, you, when it was coming along, and, and um, I, I remember what he said, um, and that it, it was the eulogy or something. Oh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, Port, Port Prefix said. And now we need to drink a strong group and a peer group. Blessing. And I was like, oh, my God, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Like he just yeah. came out of nowhere. Mm. I guess yeah. the way he died too. Yeah, the way he died, and and just remembering how unique and freaking cool he was. Mm. And yeah, it yeah. got me when he was when they were going into the um, the last chance to see stuff as well. Like I just, it's just so cool that he did that, and mm-hmm. I was realizing it really was the last chance to see a lot of those things. Mm. It, it mm-hmm. didn't get any better after he left us. Like. We've made yeah. the world worse. For the yeah. record, I did not cry. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I was noted. I, I, I was touched. I think I think he, he was a very special writer. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. <laughs> they still do. They still rule the earth. I'm back. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> All right. It's building a file. All right. Um, anything exciting happened while I was gone? Waiting for yeah, Marissa stormed off. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) No, why would she want to do a podcast if I wasn't here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I can't say anything until we start because stuff. How about puppy stuff? (laughs) Yeah, how's your? We talked about cats, but not puppies. Yeah, puppy. Puppy is still alive. Yeah. Excellent. Prognosis good? So far, yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm probably past the death death arc. Uh huh. Excellent. It's a lot of death. The arc? Oh, wait, that's the death arc. Save it. Save it, Paul. (laughs) Um, I made a uh, a Lego version of um, Spring Heel Jack because one of my classes canceled and I was waiting and I'm like, this is. I gotta sit here at this desk waiting. And then, uh, it turned out it was like some miscommunication. So I made Spring Heel Jack. You guys know who that is? No. Uh-huh. 19th, 19th century English folklore, uh, yeah. character in London. There was a, there was a novel, two novels actually, some years ago about a, a science fiction fantasy take on him, which basically made him kind of like a, a time traveler who couldn't really control his himself very well. Yeah, it's not really clear what what like I haven't read any of the fiction that was written about him at the t- near the time. Um, but his motivation is it seems highly unclear because he's not like a highwayman exactly. And he I mean, seems to just like scaring like people. His, that's almost like part of his appeal is like he's just such so weird and out there. Um. Oh, there it is. There the he contemporary is. popular culture. I mean, on on the on the Wikipedia page, the strange affair of Spring Hill Jack, an alternate history novel by author Mark Hodder, portraying Spring Hill Jack as a time traveler. Ha. Hmm. I remembered it properly. Hmm. <laughs> Yay. I don't understand. I don't understand why he exists as a uh, phenomenon. He exists as because, like a- because people people see things and they invent these sorts of sorts of characters or creatures to explain them. I mean, look at the popularity of the Mothman for crying out loud. Yeah, I don't understand that one either. But I think it's, it's the same sort of motivation and urge to create people out of. Uh, I've unexplained. So you're or, saying the Mothman's not real? <laughs> I'm saying the Mothman's not real, Jesse. I don't understand this. The, the, well, this ties back to skeptics. Guys. There's no evidence for the Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> no evidence. Wow. That's Did bold. you guys happen to see the... Uh, there's a Guardian review of a... Um, of a Netflix show. That I, I saw it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But the, it started with... I hate horror. You know, wow. I, the yeah, ghosts I'm, are not real, and therefore I would never be affected by any of this. 
and then you know two stars. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like, dude, why are you reviewing this at all? It's like exactly like that, that, that's yeah. just, just an excuse to hmm. piss off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff on Netflix worth it's pissing like, on. Two stars for the entire genre. And, 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 that's, and that's legitimate, hmm. Jesse. But saying like, oh, I don't like this genre, so I'm going to hate this, is not a, yeah. it's not an effective review. It doesn't do any favors for anybody. Well, it's the author protesting the assignment from the editor. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, they over it. Or, they, or, or maybe they didn't get an assignment. They decided to do it just because they needed to have a, I need a column. Oh, good. I'll piss on something I know I'll hate already. Mm. That that doesn't do any. I mean, it's like a book review where yeah, it's author, frustrated author, work, so right? Frustrated at work. Yeah, where you're where you're motivated just to uh, just to light a fire on something. It's like it, this doesn't do any. Oh, the only thing good this does is your paycheck. It does nobody else anything. There was a whole there was a whole whole thing on Twitter too about about book reviewers getting paid or not paid, and so that comes tithing to that too and the ethics of that oh or people paying for it no scott's not happy with with twitter uh i've been thinking about how how i muting can you mute a whole bunch of like topics well i actually i actually don't even i don't even look at my feed anymore (laughs) (laughs) i go on there i have i use tweet deck yeah, yeah, me too. I have like or notifications and messages, and that's what I look at. And then yeah. there's a couple of accounts that I follow for work. Right. So, like yeah, the state of Utah this. COVID nineteen response team. You know, so that's yeah. in a column, and you know that's that's how I can watch a uh, press conference in like ten seconds. <laughs> right. Is just looking at the Twitter feed for yeah. okay. What did the governor say? Yeah, because it affects my job. Yeah, no, the, it is a source of of news. That's yeah. and not not the kind of news that you don't care about, but the kind that you might might want to care about. Marissa, I think you need to come close to your mic. Uh, is it still? I just moved it. Is it still? It's better. Quiet? It's better. Yeah, yeah. It just felt like you're a little bit far away. Yeah. <clears throat> I've got to figure out what books I'm going to listen to on my trip. <laughs> um, yeah, you can mute words on Twitter. Like I've muted every single word related to sports games. You can, <laughs> you can mute words, sports games. Yeah, so like uh, yeah, all, the, all the NFL teams and anything about goals or scores. Like I've just <laughs> muted everything. <laughs> there, there's a lot of people who mute, mute anything dealing with Donald John Trump. So you know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's New awesome. friendship, love. You, you that. muted that. That's <laughs> no, That's why my husband jokes. Actually, like if can, he you, can it... you do the opposite and just allow words? <laughs> so okay. That'd be great. <laughs> just green light words like uh, puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you can follow. Oh, you can follow hashtags. Obviously, That's really awesome. I love it. Yeah, no, I think I think that would be a good idea for you, Scott. Because um, generally, I just unfollow anybody who. Tweet something that's really annoying, except every once in a while somebody who I I won't unfollow will tweet something annoying, and then I have to write up a tweet that. Yeah. And it's not it's not so much that it's annoying. What what Twitter does to me is when I look at a feed, my brain goes like forty directions in like ah. two minutes, right? And that is like an anxiety or stress producer. You know, you know? Yeah, so it's, it becomes, it's from it regular. It's just not worth looking at. So it's not like I'm offended at everything mm. I'm seeing. It's just like yeah, I can't finish. It's like I can't finish a sentence, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, it's like you're on a drug. Like. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. A particular kind of drug. It's like a brain scrambling drug. <laughs> right. And that's what it does to me. That's what it feels like. It's the fire so hose like, effect. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's like, oh, I got to track that down and see what that's about. Oh, what's this? Oh, yeah. I got it. Oh, what's this? <laughs> and then at the meantime, at work, you know, you're being peppered with work all day. And, um, you know, I just want to sit down. Maybe, maybe you're more of an Instagram guy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Instagram. See? That's way more mild, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's picture, it's, right? It's a picture. Right. Yeah. And a whole and bunch of hashtags, I think. I I, I, know, I don't really know what Instagram is, but I think, doesn't that, don't they have a whole lot of hashtags? Some people do, yeah. Okay. Like the influencers <laughs> have like 500 million hashtags. I don't yeah, understand The problem that. with Instagram is I have to see my brother's Instagram feed, which is full of pro-Trump stuff. Oh, so you can't, uh-huh. can you mute on there? I haven't actually figured that out yet. Um, I, I unfollowed my brother and that started a whole <laughs> war between the two of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I, unfollowing so should never offend people. That's exactly. it, 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 offended it does badly. offend people though. In, yeah, it does. When I went out for my, for my mother's death, I went back to following my brother. Because uh, my brother, uh, I kind of, yeah, I, I, I kind of figured it was the sacrifice I was willing to take. I don't know. Sometimes you just got to have boundaries and. Yeah, but, but you don't my, see my brother politics. and I are both kind of vulnerable emotionally at the moment, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a little while and then you can like quietly unmute him again. <laughs> there you go. There's something so. from Instagram. <laughs> oh, that's a cute puppy. A baby panda at the Smithsonian <laughs> Zoo. <laughs> They've been, uh, you know, it was born during the COVID time, and they were they've been following it. So very cute. Yeah. Yeah, Instagram is nice for like books and stuff too. I feel like people yeah. are showing more of stuff that they're reading. And that's why I got on there was um, I've been playing with YouTube. I don't know that I'm going to stay on YouTube, but um, I like your YouTube. There, a lot of the booktube people that are on there are also on. Uh, yeah. Uh, Instagram. There's there's one I posted this morning. A show, you mean? Oh no, no, uh, an Instagram photo. That's a great photo. That's a beautiful picture. Did that's you take a, that? That's it. That's, that's your doggy, Logan, Utah, right now. It's you can tell that it's smoky. Mm. You know, if you, if I try to take a picture of the mountains, those sleepers right, look like they're a thousand years old, yo. Those what? The sleepers, the the railroad track, uh, wood. Oh yeah, things. yeah. The Burbotage, you mean? Yeah. They're so old. I, 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 I don't get to do it very often. I love taking pictures of railroad tracks that go off into the horizon towards something. That's, that's, that, this is, I mean, yeah, I, I'm mostly known, if I'm known for anything, or in photography for mountains and water and waterfalls and more water, which will make Utah real interesting. I may not get a waterfall photo on this entire trip, which will be weird. Mm-hmm. And very unpaul like, but you know. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of waterfalls in Moab. You, no. you don't want to go off brand, Paul. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I, I am. I am. I'm going to be building and stretching my photographic uh, skills. I mean, I've only been to the de- desert of Utah for like three hours in 2013. That's it. So it's like this is new opportunities. Yeah, and Although, if you come if you come across a rock that's been balanced there for thousands and thousands of years, <laughs> don't push it over. Oh, oh, oh you mean like you mean like <laughs> yeah. idiots who who uh, broke that one in Goblin yeah, Valley? Yeah, exactly. I I, like, I do oh, tend to help people. 
Yeah, the, 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 this was some. This was a couple of years ago. Some Boy Scouts camping yeah. in Goblin Valley knocked over a rock formation for the helmet. On uh, <clears throat> Boy Scout of them. Yeah. No, no, Sorry. that's very boy of them, though. It was like the, it was the leaders of it. It wasn't the kids. Oh, really? That's what I read. Do I remember that incorrectly, Paul? I, I, I think I think they all cooperated in this idiotic mm. event. That I, is insane. I yeah, do intend dumb. to see Goblin Valley on my. I actually Goblin Valley is my next stop after when I leave Moab. Is my next stop is Goblin Valley. Cool. As I as I perambulate across the five big five, then I will go. <laughs> then I will go to Capitol Reef. Uh, but yeah, because Moab is arches and canyons, and I'll go see Goblin Valley for a few hours, spend the night in Hanksville, then go to Capitol Reef, then to Bryce, then to Zion, catch Cedar Breaks, and then head back east. That sounds great. That's my plan. I I mean, I need to get a car and do something. Been in this one neighborhood for the whole year. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm being safe. I'm going to stay away from crowds, not go eating in restaurants. Avoiding the COVID hotspot that is Salt Lake City, uh, though my plan was to hopefully was to n- not bag another state capitol building, but not this trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so, so I so I will be nowhere near Scott. Scott's so up in north. Yeah, I'm on the other end of the state. Yeah, so I will not. The closest I will get, I will get within mm-hmm. several hundred miles of him, which also means I also miss things like the Golden Spike. I mean, I have to obviously hit these things on a future trip. Hopefully, with less virus around. We have a golden spike up here too. Where's Where's your golden spike? Uh, usually, it's Port Moody. Um, they call it Golden Spike Days. It's because you know they ended the transcontinental train. Right. The, right. The golden spike here is where the, the where they finished the line, and it's mm-hmm. just west just west of uh, Salt Lake City. I was hoping to see. In fact, I was thinking of meeting Scott there to see it. Mm-hmm. That was that was our plan before, like yeah, COVID decided. Uh, yeah, COVID we're we're having a, a particular spike right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, particular like, golden uh, spike. I mean, it's just meaning like yeah, it's really yeah, a coronal like, spike. Yeah, uh, the the guys in the state told us that they're expecting two thousand per day by this weekend. Oof. Right now, it's <laughs> thirteen forty three. So yeah. And I'm coming to visit. <laughs> Not that Minnesota's doing great either. We're spiking too. Yeah. So the two the two centers are Provo, Utah, and Salt Lake City. And we're staying pretty steady up here in Logan. I'm staying away from Provo and yeah. Salt Lake City. Yeah. This is a desert Utah trip, not a mountain Utah trip. Right. So we had forty six yesterday. I gotta keep. I gotta keep track of all these numbers. Part of my job right now is contact tracing. Oh really? You know, so when they opened all the schools, the they school. trained people at every school to do contact tracing. So the health department will call me and say, "Okay, we've had a positive case," and then um, I have to go to the department and say, "Okay, who was this person next to?" In you know, in the date that they gave me. And then, you know, so we've instructed everybody to have seating charts and everything so they have this information. And then wow. I got to call and quarantine everybody that was around them. Well, do they do that with uh, phones and stuff as well? Is it like digitally tracked or? No, no digital tracking. It's just, huh. yeah. Yeah, that would, yeah. Um, Utah actually started to go down that road, um, but there was a huge rebellion. You know, people were like, no, we're not. 
you know, they, they said, here's an app. Everybody install this app. And most people said, we're not going to install that app. No. <laughs> so you and know. no appetite for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, I think, I they, think where it's like, it views, it's so good. Like, um, yeah. like in New Zealand, you have to scan your phone as you go into every, like, you know, cafe and oh, any area so like smart. that. So, that's yeah. Really great. They know exactly yeah. who was there. In the United States, there's uh, this level of crazy. If you haven't noticed, yeah, <laughs> and people don't do things if it's like if someone says freedom, you know, that yeah. that'll thwart any effort to to try to do something that's really common good. I don't know. I I was at the bank. I had to go to the bank because because an American sent me a, a check in the mail, and it was in U.S. dollars, so I can you know just do it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the door of the bank, they. They they said just I want you to to get out your phone and and get your camera app out and point it at this thing. I'm like, what what is this about? So I did what they said. Oh, and they said, oh, you don't have a scanner on your your thing. That's okay. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? It was like they had set up this elaborate system to set up an appointment for inside the bank. And I'm like, what what is all this for? And then as I'm standing around thinking about this for like three minutes while I'm outside and then another five minutes when I'm inside, I realized, Oh, it was, it was the purpose of this is to, again, deter visit, visits to the bank so that they wouldn't have to have those in store employees so that they wouldn't have to have that building so that they wouldn't have to have those expenses. It was an excuse like mm-hmm. in the same way that, you know, I don't know how uh, prevalent it is down there, um, or even in Ontario, but the, uh, numbers of automated checkouts at the, at the grocery store or whatever kind of store it is. I've exploded down here. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, obviously this is a good thing in some ways, right? But the reason businesses are behind it is because it's fewer employees, which are the most expensive part of a business, right? Well, <laughs> in a normal business, it, it would be, um, and so, like, I was like, what, what, what effect does this have? And basically, it was, they wanted you to, every, it's at the door. They're used, they're taking advantage of the fact that, um, we are under COVID fear, right? To bootstrap a system that they already wanted to do, which is get you out of the habit of actually going to the bank and doing your business. It was a deterrence. So that lineup outside for an appointment inside, which makes no sense. I was like, oh my God, that's so evil. And of course that happens every time there's a crisis, right? They, they roll out a plan that benefits whatever it is. And, and so obviously that's not the case with a lot of, uh, you know, like plane travel and stuff like that. Um, they're not, they're not trying to deter people from getting on planes. They want people on planes because that's how they make their money. You don't make virtual trips, but banks, um, you know, there's a one bank up here. Um, uh, Misa might know about it. what's, uh, the one that run by Loblaws, you know, PC bank. Yeah. PNC. PNC. Uh, it's, I think it's Canadian. Yeah. yeah. In any case, they have like almost no branches or, no employees. It's just a bank machine at the grocery store, right? Yeah. And they make tons of money off of that 
because not only are you going to bank, you're, you know, using that money to, so I don't know. I, it doesn't sound like it's really, it, it's at all related, but that app, the, the fact that if you don't have the app on your phone, they want you to put it on there. Um, it's bad. Uh, it's also good, but it's bad. I, I, I see that like the employees are being told to deter, <laughs> to try and deter people from using the employee services. You know, where the, the employee's standing there and saying, you know, you can bank at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, please put me out of work. I'm like, oh man, that's a horrible directive. I haven't seen that at banks here. Have you been to a, a bank? I, like? have, I have. And yeah. they, uh. That was TD. I it went, was CIBC I doesn't, isn't doing that. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was the most bizarre thing. I, I couldn't figure out what, why it was in place because it didn't, it didn't make any sense. There was no lineup to get into the bank machine. It was just to see a teller. Yeah. And you had to digitally sign in. Like, why? Had to do that at the hairdresser, though. You had to do a digital sign scan, in at the do the scan thing. Yeah, scan. Oh, really? Your, well, that's yeah, scan your thing, and yeah. then why? Online register outside the door, like after having an appointment and everything. You, they wouldn't let you in until you. So, did that. Uh, do, uh, is it just to get like your contact info? <sighs> yeah, I think so. Is it just they had it tracing, So, if someone there is positive, they can uh, see yeah. who was there. That yeah. might that might make sense. That's what I mean. So everybody that comes into our school needs to log into a system, and we we give them a, a QR code that they could scan if they want right. a shortcut to it. But that's exactly what it's for. What Marissa said, so right. that if we do have a thing, we know who's there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a one while I was waiting there. There was one old lady came, and she said, "You know the the employee said, uh, just take. I, I want you to get your phone out and." Point, point the camera at that and she said, I don't have a phone. <laughs> I'm just, well, well uh, we can sign you up anyways. And then like stand there while she, and like it didn't make, it didn't make enough sense to, uh, but yeah, at the, at the, at the haircutting place I go to, you, you do do that online check-in, but I also gave them, you know, years ago, I gave them a fake phone number that I just memorized. It wasn't a fake one. It was just one that, I haven't used in 20 years. It's attached to a phone? Yeah, well, I mean, it's probably attached to somebody's phone, but it's yeah. not mine. <laughs> because all numbers are. So, uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. Not, not, not fun. I hate going to the bank. I hate going out. <laughs> they hate you coming to the bank. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. Are we going to do a show? I Let's think do a show. I, don't yeah. panic. We're going to do a show. <laughs> Save it, Paul. <laughs> How dare you? Okay. Here we go. I'm going to get out the name of this book. I believe it's... Oh, yeah. It's a word I can't say. Right, here we go. Um, <laughs> I got a recorder going. Paul, will you please record? Scott? I, w I will start recording. Thank you. Are you doing the Skype record? Yeah. MP3 okay. Skype recorder 4.50 Pro. No, I mean, uh. Oh, no. How was. Uh, that, that. Did I start the Skype, Skype recorder? Yeah, if, if that's how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I do it when I'm on here. Oh, great. I mean, it's okay. a, just a backup. Yeah. So there we go.
but the man's going to know about our whole conversation. The man already knows about our conversation. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the man I'm worried about. God it's is this yeah. It's it's the. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice if we had an extra listener. <laughs> 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 All right, here we go.